Hey y'all, so um, I guess I'm doing a podcast now. Um, I'm just trying to switch up how I make my content and, um, you know, a lot of like the work that I do, um, it's, it comes from a lot of processing, processing a lot of things by myself and, you know, I'm really at this point at this kind of crossroad where I'm realizing like I can't keep processing by myself anymore. Um, And so I want to talk here on this podcast about like just the things that I'm processing and kind of my journey of trying to get the right treatment, the right therapy, you know, to really move into a place of recovery. Because like, I honestly think that it's like, I thought I was in recovery because I made a few strides when it came to healing. And mind you, like, healing is not linear. It's not this thing where you have to like, meet milestones and checkpoints and stuff. But like, I definitely thought I was in recovery just because I really knew how to intellectualize my pain, to intellectualize my grief, like everything was kind of (laughs) falling into this very intellectual framework where I was, um, yeah, just like using my trauma as this opportunity to create uh, content and like to educate the masses about um, the adoption industrial complex and child welfare and this kind of really obscured version of trafficking that is a global trade, right? And it's done right in front of our faces and it's done legally and it's even celebrated by the general public. And so, um, yeah, I just like took this awareness I had around my own grief, my own pain, my own trauma, my own uh, commodification and subjugation and you know, uh, some of the discriminatory things that I experienced within my adoptive home, I just took that and (laughs) made it into content, you know, and kind of intellectualized it to this point where like, it's been really kind of harmful to my mental health, to my physical health as well. And to, um, my body just because like, I'm not, I'm not living in my body. I'm living in my mind. I'm living in you know, kind of the confines of, um, my, yeah, my intellectual interpretation of my pain. And that's not really allowing me to heal. And so, you know, it's like, I don't think that, mm, I don't like this idea that like trauma survivors are like expected by other people to heal. Right. Like, I think it's kind of gross to be like, oh, I just see you struggling so much. Like you should start your healing journey. Like, why don't you heal? It's like, that's, (laughs) that really should be up to each person. And so I do think part of my, um, delay in my healing has been a result of my reunion with my biological family. Um, and so like, I want to talk more about that here. Um, because there was just this expectation that like, because we reunited (laughs) that I didn't like, that there's nothing more to heal from now that like we're reunited and that fixes everything. And you know, we have this great reunion story and everything's fine. And it's like, well, that's not really how that works. Um, number one, number two, I did not realize that, 
I was going to face secondary rejection from my biological family. I was not prepared to learn some of the things I learned when I reunited with them. And um, specifically, like when it comes to like my black side, they don't believe that I had any racial trauma in my adoptive home because they see like that I have this proximity to whiteness. And so like, I don't even have folks that I can vent to really, except for like one cousin, I really can't, my family, they don't, they don't see me. They don't, they don't recognize me, um, as being a racialized person. They kind of see me as basically white and they see my upbringing in a white household as more of a privilege than a point of trauma and a point of suffering. And so that's been like really fucking hard. (laughs) And, um, and again, like there's, I'm over intellectualizing it and I'm always coming from this place of like trying to understand everybody else's perspective and everybody else's story and everybody else's trauma where I'm like, okay, that's why they act like that. Or that's why they think this, or that's why they say that. Um, And really just trying to do so much to like hold space for them, which is really not giving me, you know, autonomy over my own narrative. It's not, it's, I'm taking away my own voice um, because I am making excuses for what arguably is like very kind of abusive behavior. Like you haven't even let me talk about my experiences. Like I haven't even given, been given the space to like unpack things, even with my own father, you know, who set me down and told me um, that his three main fears when it came to my adoption was number one, they were not going to know how to style my hair, which was check, Um, that they were going to be, he didn't use these words, but basically that they were going to be fat phobic, that they were going to be violent when it came to the shape of my body, because you know, he, he, he knew that I was probably going to be shaped more like his side of the family than my mom's side, which was true. And there was points of like severe neglect and severe trauma when it came to my body. Um, I'm sure that some of you have seen me talk about how like my adopters pretty much starved me on the basis of me being shaped differently from my white peers. And then as I got older, this racist notion of like BMI And BMI is also really warped anyways, like, despite the fact that it's racist, it's also just, like, not scientific, because tall people are going to have more mass. Short people are going to have less mass sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's all these, (laughs) like, different things, like height and, you know, ethnicity and genetics that you have to take into account. And, like, yeah, it's just fucking racist. It's white supremacy. And they like heavily restricted my food on the basis that like based on the BMI chart I was obese. I was like 120 pounds and 58. But since I was like one point into the BMI of like obesity yeah. I'm not going to get fully into it yet. <laughs> but yeah, so like it was this whole thing of um Yeah, so, and then my biological dad also said he was afraid that the food would be horrible. (laughs) And um, and the food was (laughs) not very good. Um, And so, like, and obviously there was no, like, I didn't have, like, soul food or any African food. Well, I had African food because I went to 
Uganda when I was in high school. I went to Uganda twice for like a mission trip, which that is a whole thing in and of itself. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but like I went there and so, you know, I did have like African food in Africa, which was very dope, very much shaped my, um, my identity and my like relationship to the continent. And, you know, obviously I was there on a mission trip, so like not great, but like I was a kid, I was a kid and, um, yeah, it just like really, it shaped my worldview. It's funny though, cause like my adopters were like, oh, you know, we're, we're sending you to Africa so that like you can learn about your heritage. I'm not Ugandan, like I'm West African, you know? Um, and like, I'm pretty sure there's some Central Africa in there as well, but like, I'm not, you know, I don't have any Ugandan like heritage at all. And so, um, and then it's also like, I didn't have to go all the way to Africa to know about my my uh my heritage I could have just like gone to the civil rights museum in Memphis or (laughs) you know what I'm saying like I didn't have to go that far (laughs) but um that just kind of shows that there was like a very anti-black American sentiment in the household and that really impacted the way I was treated as well every interest that I had that was like connected to like black American culture and black American history was very demonized even criminalized, like my desire to be connected with black people was very criminalized. I was treated very badly in that sense. Like, um, I tried to run away several times and I ran away to black communities and they sent the police after me, you know? So like, oh gosh, like (laughs) there's just so much shit. And it's like, I can't just keep making Instagram posts about it. Um, and so, yeah, like I want to come here and share with you all like my journey of trying to get free, trying to heal. Um, I've been like really understanding my adoption as something that made me like a maroon and not in an autonomous way. And like, because there's two kinds of maroons, there's like castaways and runaways. And I was a castaway, then I became a runaway and I've kind of been on the run from oppression and um, violence for like pretty much since I left my adoptive home. And so, um, yeah, like there's just more that I want to do. Like I want to start living more in my body and sharing more of like how I'm going to become, um, an autonomous maroon. Like I I want to, I don't want to be on the run, but I want to get away, you know, like you get what I'm saying. I want to, create something and be part of a community that's outside of this oppressive structure where we are captive to this sort of commodification and we're defined by so many different things that come down to just like how do we best serve the ruling class how can the ruling class and um you know this white society continue to profit off of our labor to extract from us you know And that's why, like, on my Instagram now, (laughs) I have, like, in my bio, it's, like, at the neo-colonizer and capitalist. Like, don't follow me. I don't want to be followed. I don't want to be extracted from. I don't want people to continue to just, like, um, you know, see my work and my life as a commodity, as a, you know, a vehicle to their own, you know, uh, self-improvement you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I don't care if you have BLM in your bio, like, what does that mean to the commodified person? What does that mean to the stolen and trafficked child? 
you know, if you're not, like, actually committed to dismantling this shit and you just, like, want to, like, have something to share on your Instagram that makes you look super, like, progressive, I'm not fucking with that. Like, leave me alone for real. (laughs) So, um, yeah, like, I don't know. Um, I just, like, welcome you all to this space and I really appreciate you being here and, like, listening to me and, um, you know, supporting me so much and just, um, yeah, supporting me in a way that's not about my output, but just, like, literally the fact that, like, I'm a human being and life has, like, really kind of dealt me a fucking shitty hand, (laughs) and, like, um, this is also, like, the way that I used to kind of orient myself to my blackness or to my Africanity. It was, like, I had this feeling that, like, it was something that I had to overcome, and, like, I had to be good despite my blackness, despite my my heritage. I had to, like, um, even, even in, like, the physical sense, it was, like, I had to do all these, like, extra things to overcome the fact that, like, I was predisposed to fucking diabetes and heart disease. Like, these were things that were literally told to me. So it's, like, I used to have this really internalized feeling that, like, I had to overcome my blackness. Um, or that I had to be great despite the fact that I was mixed, right? And this came from, like, two sides of the coin. Like, on one side, it was, like, I wasn't good enough because I wasn't white enough, and then the other side of it was, like, um, there was no validity to my struggle. There was no validity to my lived experience because I don't present as, you know, a Black person that has this checked-off list of phenotypes that, you know... um, like, and I don't believe in the one drop rule. Like, I don't think that that is, I mean, it's obviously racist, but there's like another side to it as well um, that I would compare to just like what happened to the indigenous peoples of Turtle Island where, um, you know, they were forcibly assimilated and you had to have a certain blood quantum to be counted as native. And so there was all these people that were forcibly like whitewashed and um, forcibly assimilated. And that's, kind of what I feel happened to me like not only um from an ancestral sense of just like the trickle down to how like we became my family became like intergenerationally mixed in the first place and then the fact that like my father only procreates with white women (laughs) and so like that's that became like a phenotypical assimilation um and like the way I grew up it's like I couldn't pass for white and like I experienced a lot of, like, violence under the basis of, like, my adopters trying to get me to pass for white, but, um, beyond that, it was, like, a social experience of having this, like, social death and experiencing a cultural genocide, and so through my process of trying to reconnect, it's, like, I've had so many people just invalidate me and, um, you know, not listen to my experiences or not see my experiences as valid because even though I was the one experiencing those things, it was, it's been kind of this like, um, perpetuation of like some sort of hierarchical structure where like, just because you were starved as a child, you know, that's still not as bad as what some people experience. And I, I just, um, I think that's kind of ugly. (laughs) Like, I'm not a fan. (laughs) I'm really not a fan of that energy. So, um, and like, I get it. I I, I understand like why, um, because of the fact that like people who look like me benefit from things like colorism and texturism and featureism and 
like I'm not going to deny the level of privilege that I have like the the you know the things that I'll never have to worry about because of my complexion and even like even though adoption I always say adoption ripped out my tongue because like I'm like when people listen to me talk, they're like, oh, you can tell you're black because of how you sound. Right. And it's like, OK, <laughs> I mean, that's good now. Like that's I'm glad that I'm like getting back to myself and I'm kind of relaxing into my body and not being like, yes. Yeah, so how are you? Yeah, totally. Like, oh, my God. It was just but let me <laughs> rewind. Well, not rewind, but I'm just saying like people I always say that like adoption ripped out my tongue but I do think that there's a point of privilege too in that you know I have this um like I don't necessarily have to code switch really um and so like I acknowledge these things but um there's been in a lot of the spaces I've been in there has been a hyper 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 focus on my privilege and my um just like my appearance too of just like kind of assigning a moral um framework or moral uh I don't want to say it assigning a level of morality to me based on the fact that like I you know fall into this category of being like quote unquote the beauty standard and even like now it's even worse because you got white women <laughs> and white people in general that are like doing this race shifting thing, um, you know, trying to look more racially ambiguous, trying to look like they're a little bit quote unquote ethnic, right? Like they just have something, they're mixed with something. And, you know, usually that's black. Usually that's them trying to look like they're a little bit mixed with black and they have this you know, they do it to get this proximity to black culture and to blackness. And so a lot of my reconnection and trying to reclaim who I am has also been seen through a lens of scrutiny around how I'm trying to reclaim myself, like not trying to be black, right, but trying to take up the space that already belongs to me as an Afro descendant person with immediate black ancestry, you know, and so, and like not, and beyond that, living a life that shaped my consciousness in that I could not pass for white and that I stuck out like a sore thumb because I grew up in an area that literally in 2023 has a, like has a black population of 1.1%. So when I was growing up there between 2004 and 2013, it was even less. And so my phenotype, as much as people say like, oh, well, you look so white. It's like, well, yes, maybe now I do because white people don't look like white people anymore. And then also like, I'm not really in the sun as much, but as a child, I was always in the sun. You know, I was, I was very obviously an other, you know, in my, my upbringing. So these are things that have shaped my consciousness, shaped my moral compass, shaped my uh the way that I like position myself and orient myself in relation to blackness and whiteness and um I'm a whole last person too it's like I'm whole I'm not part anything I am a whole person so yeah like I don't know I'm just wanting to be more expansive in the ways that I move through this and like I'm just looking forward to sharing my process with y'all I'm not like I'm not completely sure how it's gonna look and I think that that's like 
one of the most beautiful things about it. And so I just thank you for being here again and for supporting me and loving me, like genuinely loving me. And um, yeah, and I, I like I'm here too because I want to be accountable to community as well. Like I want to share some of these things so that I can have a reason or like not a reason, but so that I can kind of share these vulnerabilities in order to be accountable to my community so that if there is a time where I'm out of line or out of pocket, then, you know, accountability is love. So, um, but I I think that I've always felt a little bit, um, like uneasy with it and gotten very defensive because of the stories I'm telling you, you know, because of, uh, this cultural genocide that I experienced and this attempted forced assimilation that I have like literally been resisting since I was a child. And, um, I said recently that like, I've been standing like 10 toes down in my blackness since I was a kid because people would always tell me, especially my adopters, they would always tell me when I was experiencing discrimination, they'd be like, well, just tell people like, you're not black, you're biracial. You're not actually black, you're biracial. And even as a child, I was like, so what are you saying? You're saying if I was fully black, then the discrimination would be warranted. But because I'm biracial, I shouldn't be discriminated against. You know what I'm saying? It it didn't even sit right with me when I was like 10. I was like, wait, what? Like, so you want me to like separate myself and present myself as like being less deserving of this maltreatment just because I'm also because I'm mixed and like because what (laughs) you know and so yeah I just like I think I was there was a time in my life that I was very defensive and I would get very hurt because people didn't see me they didn't understand me and um they didn't understand adoption to be a violent system but you know we're in a different phase of life now so (laughs) um thanks for being here And I love you so much.